If you've ever thought of quilting your own projects but just don't know where to start, I have the perfect first steps for you. I've put together a PDF guide. I call it Three Steps Toward Freehand Freedom. These are the baby steps, but they can help you move past your overwhelm and show you that yes, indeed, freehand quilting can be learned. So if you'd like to snag this PDF, there's a link in the show notes, or if you're an Instagram user, just message me three steps. That's the number three, S-T-E-P-S, and I'll send you that link. Let today be the day you get started. I am a huge believer in like the growth mindset. When you're talking about building a business, being a culture who wants to try a lot of different techniques, we're not born knowing how to do this stuff and we can learn from other people, other resources, experiment, take what you like and apply it in new ways. Welcome to Measure Twice, Cut Once, the podcast where we hear quilters and other crafters' stories and draw encouragement and even life lessons from them. Today, I've invited Jess Ziegler into my studio, and she's going to talk with us about her metamorphosis from hobby quilter to family supporting business. So stay tuned for that. I am your host, Susan Smith, and I'm coming to you from my quilting studio, Stitched by Susan. This is where my long arm, Lucy, and I spend lots of hours doing freehand, edge-to-edge quilting. So if you're not a quilter and those terms aren't meaningful to you, it's basically doodling on the surface of a quilt with a 50-pound writing implement with needle and thread attached and at high speed. If you are a machine quilter, I invite you to tune in to the live and unscripted events hosted on my YouTube channel also called Stitch by Susan. These are streamed live, and so they're interactive. So you're able to ask questions about the project that I'm working on and get answers in real time while I'm actually stitching it out. So if you'd like to be notified of upcoming events, be sure to sign up for my newsletter at my website, stitchedbysusan.com. Another thing that I've recently made available to machine quilters is a mini course on the all over feather. So this is kind of an informal style of feather, and it's literally stitched across an entire quilt top quite casually. And so in this free course, I'll show you how to walk through the steps from the basic individual feather shape through even coverage on the quilt, talks about um, avoiding awkward corners, customizing little details to suit you. So it's all within this little mini course, and I'll walk you through it and demo the quilting for you step by baby step. So to sign up for that, simply head to my website and a sign-up form will pop up. So I hope you'll take advantage of that. Today's Pins and Needles is brought to you by The Will and Dave Show. Hi, I'm the Will half of The Will and Dave Show, a short little podcast that myself and the eponymous Dave like to record talking about the things that really matter to us, whether that's social, political, or pop culture. Usually we don't see eye to eye, But more often than not, we can find some common ground in there somewhere. And now, back to pins and needles, with a quick tip for all you sharp quilters out there. Since we'll be talking with a long-arm quilter today, I thought I would share with you a tip for those quilters among you. A lot of us supply, particularly if we have quilting as a business, but maybe even just if we make a lot of our own quilts. We supply or keep on hand rolls of batting, sometimes in different, you know, thicknesses or weights or sizes or even sometimes colors, black versus natural versus bleached. And it's really advantageous to 
um, have those battings on hand, but of course they're bulky. How in the world do you store them and have them not kind of take over your room? Well, my solution to this was actually my husband's solution, let's be honest, was to create a hanging system. And he simply got the hangers that you would use in closets that hold a bar across them. So they're kind of triangular in shape. And he hung these in pairs. And of course they have to be on studs because they have to hold some weight. So he put pairs of these hangers and I have four, one right above the other on one wall of a room. I could fit four rolls of batting. So the hangers are installed. We had our hardware store cut a simple metal rod that spanned the hangers. And my husband drilled holes through the ends of those rods so that we could put a wing nut and screw through rod and hanger. So that keeps the rods firmly in place. So all you have to do is unattach that rod, slide your roll of batting on, and then wing nut that securely back in place. And now your roll of batting hangs and it spins freely and you can just pull out as much as you need. My contribution to this whole project was I happen to have my batting in a room that has a concrete floor. So this might not work as well on carpet, but if you have some kind of solid surface, I just took a wide like a two inch strip of painter's tape and stretched it out along the floor and put markings on it in two inch increments. And so that serves as my measuring guide. I just pull out the batting and I can see how long it is and I can just use a, um, I use a cardboard batting roller uh, rod from inside it as my ruler, stretch that across and just cut it to size. So presto, my batting is up out of the dust, out of the way, four rolls are stored on one wall. It's genius. Thanks husband. You know that I love my coffee. If you are interested in supporting this podcast, an easy way to do it is go to buymeacoffee.com forward slash stitched by Susan. There, for the price of one delicious coffee, you're able to make a one-time contribution. I so much appreciate your support. It helps us to keep investing in better and better equipment to produce these podcasts for you. So maybe take a second now to refill your cup as you settle back to enjoy today's interview. Today's guest is Jess Ziegler. And Jess is going to be opening up about her journey from machine quilting as a hobby through growing and developing a business that she and her husband both operate now that trains and supports quilters across the nation and even around the world. You won't want to miss this. Well, Jess, welcome into the studio this morning. I'm so glad to have you here. Thanks for having me. Glad to be here. Great. What what got you started in quilting? Yeah, um, back, it's, I feel like it's a, a very common story. Uh, I had my first child and quit my corporate job and I had a lot of time on my hands and I just love, I've always loved quilts for the feel of them. They're not too hot, not too cold. I love the, the artistry that went into quilt tops, um, or that goes into quilt tops. My grandma, uh, collected she didn't sew quilts herself, but uh, she collected quilts. Her mother was a quilter. She was the quilter in our family. So I just feel like I was always around quilts. And my sister had the opportunity to take a quilting class, like quilting 101 in high school, (laughs) which I love about our small town. Um, But for, so she's a few years younger than us and we got married pretty young, but even so she as a probably 
not even 20 year old made us a quilt for our wedding. And I was like, oh man, if she can do it, I can do this. And so after my first was born and I found myself just having more time at home, um, I was very interested in quilting. My sister in her quilting class, they learned from Eleanor Burns um, log cabin book, you know, where you just rip, (laughs) rip the strips and you know, you're throwing fabric around. And um, it was, it just felt, fun and freeing. And so she also has just, she's been the artist in our family. I'll always, you know, think of her as the artist in the family and always having a good sense of color and design. And she helped me pick out uh, my first fabrics for a quilt. And so she was kind of one that took my hand and got me started into the piecing part of it. And I was, after um, a quilt had been pieced, I, I was totally lost. I had no idea what steps came next. I looked at the back and all, all the raw seams. <laughs> I was like, okay, now what? <laughs> I really have no idea what comes next. You know, all the, I, I had never thought through the, the steps or the process um, before. So that was all totally new um, and turned my first quilt like a p- pillowcase, you know, mm-hmm. and Many tied do. it. Yep. And from there, uh, I just became more interested in like, okay, how are these, why do these quilts look this way? And, you know, these other ones look a different, you know, like with the stitches be, um, hand quilting, uh, the non tied or non turned quilts. I just really started paying attention and became so curious about quilting. I would check books out from the library. It was even like, there weren't, I'm, I'm sure there were some quilting blogs, but it was just like, you know, they weren't as popular as now. I mean, you can log on now and get all sorts of resources, but I just had a very pure, genuine curiosity about quilting. And uh, I soon became in love with the quilting part. So I eventually tried to piece something very quickly just so I could get to the quilting part on my domestic machine. Mm -hmm. Uh, So that that was kind of where the love of quilting started with me. Um, I, on my I love that you're kind machine. of exploring um, that process of finding out like really, well, let me say it differently. I grew up in a family that made quilts, my mother, my grandmother, my great grandmother, etc. So I never had curiosity about how it came together. Mm-hmm. I sort of was born knowing about the layers of a quilt and the batting and, and how it was assembled. So I love that you showed that that how unfamiliar that was to you and how there are multi skills in making a quilt, right? It's not just a one-step process. Making the top is just step number one. Okay. Absolutely. Carry on with the story. Well, and what you just said reminded me, even when I would get books and try to like get the materials and, and do it, I, I, found there was even, there was so much more involved, like getting the right materials to use. So for instance, you know, uh, put down a layer of batting on the on the back or whatever. So that can mean very different things if you're talking mm-hmm. about a high loft poly bat and then mm-hmm. trying to quilt using that or a very, um, you know, a lower profile cotton that kind of adheres and keeps your sandwich really nice. So even like, I guess what I'm getting to is the materials that go into it often make a big difference as well. That's true. So not only the the techniques, but also like 
knowing what to use to kind of set yourself up for success because you could, you know, there, there are so many options out there, which, which are a good thing, but um, knowing what is going to help you get the best results is a totally different thing. So I found going to in-person class um, to learn about the actual quilting on, on a domestic was so eye-opening. You know, I had done all my own research, <laughs> but get into a room with a quilter who had done it before and was really good at it, that was just mind-blowing to me. Um, and I think yeah. being able to see and handle those different types of battings or even cotton versus, you know, maybe linen fabrics, all those things make such a difference in the finished result of your quilt. And there's just Absolutely. nothing, you know, YouTube cannot make up for the value of feeling and handling them and knowing what they wash up like and all that, all those sorts of 100%. factors. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. Absolutely. So I first got to know you in air quotes um, on social media with your no Y seam patterns that you have published and you're a feather girl. Tell us more about your feathers. (laughs) Feathers in all varieties. (laughs) Even chickens? Well, well, okay. Maybe not. In the quilting world. Oh, okay. Um, So yeah, I really love the feathered star. It was a uh, challenging block but also just so visually impactful that I was like, okay, I'll do all the steps. I'll do whatever it takes so I can get this finished result. So that was, I think just playing on EQ software, finding a block that was, um, that was something that I wanted to replicate in my own sewing, but then just not being able to get a consistent Y seam, um, led me into the direction of, okay, what if we just kind of break this apart? add some seams in just so it'll be easy sewing. What, what can we accomplish or can I get more consistent results doing it this way, even though we're adding in a new step for foundation paper piecing? Right. So maybe and, let's take, let's take just a second because lots of our yeah. listeners aren't necessarily quilt makers. So can you okay. in a sentence or two describe what a Y seam is and why we try to avoid it so much? <laughs> well, um, so it required, it's not just a straight through seam. You have to stop and reposition the fabric and often it's using bias, which is more stretchy. And I think that is part of the um, process that is a little bit more tricky to duplicate the same way for every seam. So if you have, um, so you're sewing to a point, stopping, repositioning, and then meeting it so it (laughs) goes into a Y shape. Boy, I haven't thought about that for a while. Um, But yeah, it was, I, I found that, well, it took struggling through my first feathered star the traditional way and just being frustrated with the results, having a huge big bubble in the middle and just not understanding. Because at that point I had, you know, had quilted for several years and I thought I knew what I was doing. And I'm sure there were more, you know, with more practice, I, I think I could have gotten better at it. But I really like the idea of kind of applying the um, chain piecing sort of um, aspect where you're going to make X number of these units and you're just going to go, 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 go. And you don't have to stop to do the Y seaming. Um, that was appealing to me to kind of like systematize how the, that block went together. Uh, so I found a way to, with the EQ software to insert a few more seams into a block, but I, I was just really 
excited about having um, consistent results in Mm -hmm. those areas where a Y seam would have been or is appropriate. It was just kind of a workaround. And um, other people were interested in that too. And so that was kind of how my, um, uh, I would say my first popular pattern was born. And um, that was when at a time where I really wanted to pursue uh, pattern design and pattern writing as part of a business. Um, and that <laughs> I played around with that for a while and it did, I just didn't feel like it took off for me. And I found myself being continually pulled to the, the quilting side instead of the piecing side. Mm-hmm. I, we kind of, um, I have to call <laughs> piecers, piecers and quilters, quilters, even though we're all quilters, but sometimes, right. you know, when you're talking about the two different things, it is two entirely the- different skill sets. Absolutely. Yeah. And some people yeah. love and doing it all if, and some don't necessarily. So. Right. And I don't know, piecers isn't an offensive term, hopefully. It's just my way to distinguish. Not We're not talking about the, the layering and the quilting um, of the layers. We're talking about sewing the patchwork together. Right. So. So I have another personal question that I wanted to ask you. I was I was Please. reading down through your your personal little tidbits that you have on your website, which I absolutely oh, yeah. love. It gives us just such a feel for who you are. But one, of course, caught my eye, and that is that you love movie quotes. And oh. so, and I thought, oh, she is my people for sure. When we had four teenagers at home at one point, and we used to have entire meals where all you could do was talk in movie quotes. And I have to say, I'm very bad at it. So I, you know, that was the only time of the day I was ever silent. But anyway, it was great fun. <laughs> so funny. Yeah, I, I feel like that came about from like, we never had cable growing up. And so we had the same VCR movies that we w- would watch over and over and over again. And we were fluent within our you know, family unit of, of family quotes. And still to this day, like I find myself, the older I get, the, I don't evolve in my movie quotes. They stay pretty <laughs> much from that time in my life, maybe 20 years ago or something. But yeah, there's there's certainly movies that got wore out. <laughs> yes. Ask me any line in Princess Bride. I'm all over that. Oh, right. Yeah. that That's a, that's a classic. <laughs> it is. And you also had a stint of, um, well, in the newspaper world, it's having a byline. What is it in podcasting? You had like a feature um, in a podcast. When yeah. about that was that? Like after your feathers, when you were already into machine quilting? Yes. Um, gosh, I'm trying to piece that together. Oh, no, I was fully quilting for other people. Okay. So after I kind of, I don't want to say gave up on the dream of pattern design, I felt myself being pulled back to quilting, like I mentioned. And um, as a mom of, of kids who were in school, but had some special needs that we would frequently have to kind of um, manage with appointments and all that kind of thing, I felt it important uh, to have a home-based business where I could kind of be in charge of my own schedule. And the way that it made the most sense to me was to quilt for other people out of my home um, and being able to um, provide. Well, when I started, I did all free motion quilting for other people because I didn't have my computer yet. And then um, later on, I added the computer and... So I was definitely in the business of quilting for others when I had um, when I was asked to do a podcast for um, American Patchwork and Quilting's uh, podcast, and 
Also at that time, I in the background and kind of on the side, I was doing some work for their scrap lab for Quilts and Moors uh, scrap lab. And I had maybe one or two other patterns in their quilt um, magazines at that time. So I had worked with the editors back and forth and I live fairly close to where the um, magazines are published or where they okay. do all the um, editorial work. And so they asked me about doing a podcast with them. And at the time I was like, well, it was just not on my radar at all. And I thought, well, this would be fun. And I'm so like, I just don't feel prepared for this. But then I thought like, okay, this is an opportunity to um, do something a little bit scary and like, we'll just jump in and see where it leads. So um, I did a very short six month contract. And at that, at that same time, I was getting very busy in my quilting work too, just having uh, a lot of customer quilts waiting for um, you know, time on my machine. And I, the podcast helped me to kind of picture um, myself and my business at more of a national level. So it's kind of an uh, like, oh, somebody wants to hear from me or, so, you know, I don't know. There was something about being asked and, and going for it and being able to connect with other people in the industry that, gave me the confidence really. I mean, if I'm being honest to say, um, okay, well, what happens? Like, let's follow this through to a logical conclusion. If I do this podcasting a long time, I still want to do quilting in some capacity. What happens if I get, you know, a, a larger profile or something and more people want me to quilt for them? I'm still fairly limited on the amount of quilts that I can get there's through. A, there's only on so many frame. hours in the day, right? Yeah. Yeah. And at this time, you know, it started, it started as a, I just kind of paused because I think like this could go in so many different directions. But when I started, I had the very privileged position of not having to make a lot of money from quilting. My husband had a full-time job. We had benefits, you know, it was something that I could do on the side to make enough money um, for our family. But then the more I got into business, the more I saw it, uh, I saw it as a challenge and the more I wanted to grow. And I think like business podcasts and resources that are, you know, through audiobooks, podcasts, you know, just books, other, just being in, and social media can kind of see what other business Hmm. um, owners are doing. Right. I started becoming more interested in that. And then it was kind of like a challenge to, to see how, I could maybe uniquely grow and scale my skill set, the things that I was naturally um, interested in and curious about and the things I was learning, whether anybody was paying me or not, and the things that I just wanted to talk about all the time. It was kind of a challenge to to say like, well, you know, what happens if? And I, I had to be real with myself and, and say, you know, at tops, I would only want to quilt maybe one quilt a day through my computerized, um, that was very doable with my, um, computer edge to edge type of work. Um, and I didn't really want to see, I didn't want to get any bigger than, I didn't want to add a second machine. I didn't want to, you know, at that point in time, you're just like, you can scale your prices, but I couldn't really scale the number of people I worked with. And so that was, kind of the origins of like, what, how can I, what, what the, how the, you know, like all, mm-hmm. all the questions of like, where, where could this go? And, and what do I want to do? And, and really self-reflective work of, uh, 
how can I help other people and do this thing that I, I love to do? And that was the the foundations of, I, I felt like the podcast was a springboard to to put myself in a, in a position where I was thinking about uh, scaling and where to go. And that's um, really how the Long Arm League started um, around that time. I'm trying to think if I, I think I was doing, I think it was overlapping at the very beginning, Okay. the um, podcast contract and the um in the beginnings of the Long Arm League. So where I got to know you better was I entered um, fairly early on in the Long Arm League. For sure, you were on my horizon, and I saw what you were doing in building that. So maybe give our listeners, because lots of them are quilters, um, just a brief picture of what the Long Arm League is and who it's intended to serve. Okay. Yeah, great. Um, we are a collective of quilters. We're primarily quilting for other people in business. You know, we're business owners um, mostly. And most of us are doing digital edge-to-edge quilting, but not all. Um, And so when it started, it was like, okay, how can we just share information, help each other out, like talk, have the conversations that I was never, I wasn't a part of anywhere else. And I realized there's probably lots of Facebook groups that I have no, I know nothing about, or, you know, there's probably other avenues and and areas where quilters were congregating, but Instagram was a, as a primary social media outlet for me. And at the time I was connecting with a lot of other quilters and I would ask other people like, Oh, how are you doing this? And, and I got lots of questions myself in my direct messages. And I thought like, how could we more formalize kind of a relationship where, we're helping each other. We're sharing techniques, um, the way we do business. I mean, there was, I had some mentors in my real life that, you know, for an afternoon would say like, okay, this is how, you know, in very general terms, how I do, like how customers come to me, how we fill out the intake form, you know, it was very quick and very broad and they're business owners. Right. So I, you feel a little bit like I don't want to come to your home and shadow you for for a week to to get the nitty gritty on like every single thing that you're doing. There's so many things that you need to figure out. Not only with your machine, you know, some people are coming into it; they don't even have a longer machine. They're mm-hmm. they've ordered one or one's on the way, so they're getting used to their machine. If they have robotics, that's a different ball game. Um, it doesn't. Um, all the business thing, uh, business side of this can be brand new too. So it is a lot of things to learn at the at once. At the same time, you kind of have to get all of those uh, ducks in a row before you feel confident enough to be taking other people's quilts and and really um, making it into a business. And right. so it was really out of the desire to formalize some sort of a, a I don't want to even say mentorship, but just like a collective um, group of quilters who were sharing information with each other. And, it, and speaking so from I, speaking from my experience, it's been really, really great because you referenced Facebook groups, which certainly are out there, but they can mm-hmm. be large and they can they can be so broad, you know, that it's hard to find people in it that are actually kind of at a similar place to where you are. So your league provides then a, a more a smaller atmosphere where everyone's kind of trying to learn the same thing, right? How to set up a business, right. how to serve customers well, and of course, how to actually operate their long arm machines. But you've just got this smaller, more intimate connection with other people doing the same thing. Yeah. Yep. Um, when we started, it was, we were already 
the people who joined me at the beginning, they were already long arming for other people. And so it became difficult. We saw a real need for people who were interested in joining or starting their own businesses. They came in and they were talking to people who had already been there and done that sort of a thing. And so just within the last year, we developed a getting started program for people who are just beginning to long arm quilt for others. And we call that call that rookie season, um, which is now Oh, it's kind of morphed and evolved over this last year based on what, um, you know, we're just trying to really listen to what people are wanting and, and to provide what they're needing. But for the first time this year, I'm, I'm really happy that we did it this way, that we have, you know, getting started steps and somebody who's brand new to it can come in from the beginning and be, you know, have the information broke down week by week, what you should be thinking about now. Uh, here's how to order things. Here's how to work with a uh, with a potential client. Here's you know how to realign your digital designs. Here you know here's how to to do the uh, bookwork and to think about how to pay yourself and how to set a money aside for expenses and taxes and all, all that kind of thing. So there's um, yeah it's it's now I'm glad that we have a clear path for for the very new beginners coming in. And I agree. So we're doing. And- yeah, honestly, I'll just interject here, Jess, just a plug for you, because I oh. I started my quilting business, you know, on my own, and I had been an entrepreneur before, so I had some sense of that, but I, you can't overstate the value of just having your hand held and being walked through these steps, like the money it saves you, but the time it saves you. I'm talking months and years, right, of learning Absolutely. these things trial and error, and you have distilled it down into this very concrete one step at a time process. And I just can't overstate the value of that for a new business owner coming into the quilting world. It's great. Oh, thank you. Thanks so much for saying that. Mm -hmm. Yeah. It's fun to be able to see there's, there's a lot of confidence issues too, that come with this and to, um, to be going through the class at the same time as other entrepreneurs is really valuable too. You'll see that, you know, a lot of us have the same kind of fears. Like, what if I mess up this quilt? Okay. What if, you know, what if this happens? And to have, to know that you have other people who have, have either been in a situation or a similar situation that can lead you through that is, is really valuable. And I feel like it gives people who might even be very good at their machines and very, you know, uh, knowledgeable, maybe they've quilted for themselves for a really long time, um, to just, you know, say, yes, you can do this. And we're here. If anything (laughs) goes off the rails or something, you know, like you'll be able to talk about it with people who know exactly what you're saying and the fears that you've had. And no matter where you are in your journey, things happen. Um, a little while back I was working on a quilt. Fortunately, it was my own, but I like to quilt with the stitch regulator off. So what that means to the non-quilters is you just push the start button and the needle starts going at a fixed rate and you move it around and that controls the stitch length and all of that. So I like quilting that way. So I'm buzzing along through my quilt and I hit a thick seam allowance and the needle broke. (gasps) So then you've got a metal sharp shaft bobbing up and down at X number of hundred stitches per second. And you can imagine what that did. That stitched a big old hole in the quilt, right? So my point just being things like this happen and to have other quilters who I guarantee you it's happened to before that you Mm -hmm. can ask, what do I do now? And they can help you get through those problems. Yes, absolutely. Talk you off the ledge in some cases. That's right. Exactly. When we are very up close to a quilt, we're going to see any kind of imperfection that happens. And sometimes our fear is, 
oh, you know, this, the, my customer's going to freak out They're you know, whatever. And oftentimes that is not the perception on the other side. They're just so thrilled to see the quilt done in a really beautiful way that, you know, they're, they're just things that it's helpful for other, like you said, other people who have been there to, to just give you that, um, advice and comfort and to, and to, um, be able to settle into, uh, what you do best and how to, you know, confidently offer your service uh, to others. Yes. So So you've referred to a term a couple of times, edge-to-edge quilting, Mm. which basically means, right, laying the same type of quilting design completely across the quilt. You don't change thread colors. You don't stop for seams or blocks or borders. It's just one edge to another. But within Mm. that genre, there is the freehand style, which is what I do, and there's the um, digital style, which is what you do. But what is it about edge-to-edge coverage that you love on a quilt? I do too, and I know my answer, but I want to hear yours. Why does that (laughs) appeal more than the detailed custom work that's different in every area or block of the quilt? Well, I love custom quilting. Uh, I can appreciate it because I I did that for years. I offered it, um, and it was, for me, it was more in terms of, of a business, uh, <laughs> to be, to be totally transparent. I, it would take me so long to do, um, custom work that when I wanted to migrate to edge to edge, it was more like, okay, I can do a quilt in a day where for custom, I mean, I would have a quilt on the frame for three or four weeks, depending on like what was going on in my life and how involved mm-hmm. the quilting stuff was. So I found that, when I transitioned to edge to edge, um, I I like the texture that the edge to edge quilting can provide um, as kind of like a background of what's going on in the in the piecing. Um, but I feel like over time, I've you know when I freehanded designs, I feel like uh, I got to. Uh, know what worked well in certain spaces. I mean, there was just so much that I learned along the way, but like I can take some of the uh, motifs that I would freehand and kind of translate them into edge to edge designs. But I I think primarily that the texture is what really appeals to me. And it doesn't have to be, you know, some of my designs are pretty involved and um, intricate and and dense and, and all the things, but I, there's something very beautiful about a very simple shape that is repeated and the texture that that provides and the way that it can just complement a quilt top. I think that is what I love most about edge to edge um, quilting is just the, is just the texture. I agree. You nailed it. It it makes it take a supporting (laughs) role, in my opinion. It's a supporting role then for the either the fabric or the design, like the the pattern of the quilt, the star or whatever. And so the quilting just becomes this little, yeah, best supporting actress. Um, And by the way, if people want to see the types of designs that you develop, just look for uh, threaded quilting, look for long arm league, hashtag anywhere, and you'll see lots of your digital pantographs, right? Stitched out on by various people on their machines. So yeah, absolutely. And we have a, um, a longarmleague.com is a place. We have a shop within that, um, site that has, um, commercially available, you know, anybody can buy and use them in their digital machines. And I kind of just morphed into, I started talking about my own designs, but yeah, I, I think what I, again, like just going through the learning process of adding the computer, I learned 
by stitching out other people's designs, I learned what I really liked about them. And so that was also influential as I started designing um, digital designs on my own. Uh, what what I really loved about some patterns and what I thought worked well, you know, in applying them to quilt tops. Uh, and I've, I've tried to sort of marry the things I was doing before with the freehand, plus what I liked about other people's digital designs and, and have tried to develop uh, patterns and designs of my own that are, um, that are available, you know, to, to anybody who has a computer. Mm -hmm. So I'm kind of hearing a thread running through all your stories, which is that in everything you've done, whether it was a podcast or the freehand quilting or the non-computer or now the, the digital work, you have found a way to learn from that whatever that you're doing, and then apply that. And, and it helps to guide you in what you know and love to do and what you develop. But the, the point being, we can all learn from whatever thing we're doing now. Like, don't feel like you yes. have to know the end from the beginning. Explore. Learn. Yeah. Take it forward with you. I am a huge believer in like the growth mindset kind of stuff. <laughs> I mean, when when you're talking about building a business, and even if you're not, like, being a quilter who wants to try a lot of different techniques, we're not born knowing how to do this stuff. And we can learn from other people, other resources, experiment, take what you like and apply it in new ways. And I think that that's been um, so evident looking back uh, at my life and my quilting life specifically, just um, how I've taken these tidbits on all these other areas that I've tried and, you know, combine them to, to do what I'm doing now. And I, yeah, the growth mindset thing has been huge for me. And, um, yeah, thanks for picking up on that. <laughs> so what does, what does life kind of look like for you now? And I, you know, again, I'm leaving the door wide open for you might do something surprising in future, but right now this is kind of a family business. Am I right? It is. It is now. Um, my husband left his job at, uh, he was at a dealership, a car dealership as a service manager for, um, he was there for 16 years and I have just always had this quilting passion and wasn't ever able to think of a way that it could actually sustain a family. Um, and with the long arm league and the way it's grown over the last couple of years, um, we saw more potential for like, okay, what if, you know, cause I was thinking about hiring someone anyway. And you know, with COVID happening, he had more time at home and we were like, oh, okay, we actually really like this. And we always talked about, I, I imagine ourselves being, you know, empty nesters and traveling to, and I would teach quilt uh, classes at places and we would drive together and we would, you know, see the country. Um, and with COVID that timeline sort of, we thought, okay. <laughs> what if? Oh, yes. What if, um, you know, if we, can trust ourselves to figure this out as we go. Like, what could we do together? And that was a very scary thing. Um, but we started at the beginning of 2021. And so it's, you know, been what, 10 months of working together and it's been really great. Um, he's learning more and more every day and being able to- Has he, quil uh, has he actually quilted a quilt? Yeah, yeah. oh yeah. Um, when when we were thinking about, we were just racking our brains to think like, how can we do this? Because I, I think we had an end vision in mind and it was a, um, we wanted less stressful work for him. 
we wanted him to be able to see our kids more. We wanted to, uh, I think we started with the vision of what would it feel like to wake up and not have to, you know, drive into <laughs> his job and tried to like reverse engineer how, how we could make that work. And at the beginning, um, I was thinking, okay, I'm still quilting for clients. I am doing the long arm league thing on the side too. What if I just more, more did the long arm league and he, you know, I would help the customers pick out their designs and stuff, but he could actually run the machine. So he took a week off of work. This is over a year ago. And I trained him on how to run my long arm. And then I don't, <laughs> I don't I'm trying to be tactful about this. Um, it wasn't something that he was as passionate about as I was, mm -hmm. but, and he, he also wanted to do such a good job. And there's a, there's a learning curve and I was right there. I was helping him, but it was after that whole week of doing that, his brain was thinking, you know, okay, if I get really good and efficient at this, how can we feed our family just with, you know, the quilting side? We, we made a decision to, uh, to focus all of our time and attention into the league, which is scalable and the, um, we, we didn't really foresee adding more machines or anything to the actual physical, you know, quilting of the, of the quilts. So that in, but in that process, he got to know the terms and know what it's like to try to realign a digital pantograph, you know, how to base, how to load. Uh, we went through the exercise of, of doing all of that, thinking that maybe we would just continue to do the, the service part. So um, once once then, again, this is your thread did. showing up. Nothing was lost in that week, right? You found Absolutely. direction in it, and he learned all these things, which are now kind of um, a framework which he can apply as he's talking to customers and people and members. Absolutely, yep, wasn't lost. <laughs> good, so good. Well, I'm I'm happy you made that decision. I'm sure lots of quilters are, because. You know, there's lots of people that can quilt quilts, but what you're offering is a, a particular and special sort of encouragement and service to business-like quilters all over the world. So we sure appreciate it, speaking as oh, a thank you. member myself. So, gosh, <laughs> we could talk forever, Jess. Like, I just have about <laughs> 10 more questions jotted down here. We, we might have to do this again next year. So, but I think for today, we're going to wind it up. Yeah, we've been talking for quite a while. It's been really fun. But yeah. I do want to ask before we go, do you have some little tidbit that you'd like to share with our listeners? Something that has been an aha moment for you, or maybe a special opportunity that your craft has opened for you that you'd like to share with us? We kind of hit on it, but what I came into the um, conversation wanting to say at the end um, was I I didn't know how to do memberships. I didn't know how to um, do a course. I had to invest in my own education and learn those skills. And one of the big things that I learned through that process um, was to take imperfect action. And that is something that I try to repeat a lot to the rookies that come through. Um, that is sort of a through line through, uh, well, through the membership content as well. You're so afraid to publish the, the website, you know, you're, you're afraid to ask for that first client. You're afraid to send that first invoice, um, because you don't, you're fearful that it's not perfect or there's going to be something wrong with it, but you learn so much by just jumping in there and trying it. 
And you can formulate all sorts of scenarios in your mind, but until you actually take the steps, take imperfect action, that's where the real learning and the real lessons kind of show themselves. And so um, whether it's just trying a new quilting technique or starting that business or any number of things, take imperfect action and you're going to learn so much. I could not agree more. Well, thank you so very much. This has been just great fun. Appreciate it. it thanks for asking me, Susan. It's been a lot, of, a lot of fun. I'd love to come back sometime. And thank you, listener, for tuning into the show. All of the topics that Jess and I talked about today, much information can be found on her websites and hashtags that are linked to her business. So I will post all those connection points in the show notes. So head there if you want to get connected with Jess or the Longarm League. If you enjoyed this podcast, please consider leaving a review on Apple Podcasts or whatever the app of your choice is. It really helps other listeners to find this show so they can hear the quilting stories too and be encouraged. I'd also love to hear from listeners who'd like to nominate a crafter who has a story to tell. So reach out to me via email, info at stitchedbysusan.com. And don't forget to CC the person that you're nominating as well. So until next time, May your sorrows be patched and your joys be quilted.